And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome back to the show this morning. It is, of course, July the 1st as we get ready to kick off a whole new month. Of course, it is also, we get to kick off the whole new month with a holiday right in the front of it. So that's actually not a bad thing, right? That's what I'm talking about. Exactly. So everybody's getting their barbecues ready. Well, if you live in Texas, of course, you're getting your barbecue pits ready, ready to roll this weekend. Uh, Briskets are selling out like hotcakes right now. Oh, but man, the prices are way up on them. Exactly. Yeah. But there's good news around the horizon. What's that, Lance? Artificially made meat. (laughs) (laughs) Made meat in a lab. Yeah, uh, so this company is now coming out with a structure to grow meat. Sounds really appetizing, doesn't it? They can grow meat and produce 5,000 burgers a day with grown meat. There was a movie with Charlton Heston back in the 1960s mm-hmm. called Soylent Green. Yeah, check it out. If you don't know what it is, I'm not going to ruin it for you, but check it out, right? Can't hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with growing meat in a lab. Anyway. I what just, could possibly go wrong? <laughs> exactly. You know, me, I prefer my steak, just knock the horns and the tail off, throw it on a plate, right? I mean, that's that's all you need to do. If it's still mooing, it's perfect. Exactly. So anyway, July 1st, we're getting ready to roll. New month, of course, also the beginning of the second quarter earnings season. So we're going to kick that off uh, here very shortly in the next week or so. Expectations are very high right now for earnings growth in the second quarter because year-over-year comparison still very much in line with that. Um, again, this time last year, second quarter was pretty bad for a lot of companies. This was you know, right in the midst of the initial shutdown. So year-over-year comparisons between growth from last year to this year are going to look really, really good. Second quarter goes into third quarter. That resurgence in the economy that we saw in the third quarter because of all the stimulus, the bailouts of companies, etc., that's going to make those earnings not as good in the third quarter. So we're about to see the peak As we've been talking about here for a while, we're going to see the peak of earnings growth, the peak of economic growth. That's all going to occur this quarter. Also, it will be the peak of corporate profit growth. Um, And why do you say corporate profits versus earnings? Profits are very different than earnings. Earnings are what companies earn with, quote, fingers up in the air um, after all the various manipulations. Profits are what they actually report the government to pay taxes on. It's also what they actually really earned versus operating earnings, which are earnings without all the bad stuff like taxes. Uh, so, so, you know, those are the things that you want to pay attention to, particularly if you're if you're paying very high valuations for companies. And look, that's that's kind of the meme at the moment, right? High valued companies are actually doing the best in the markets here because those are the stocks that have been moving the most and, and people are chasing them. So, you know, we've talked about the speculative rampage in the markets and that's just kind of what's going on here. But as we get into the second quarter earnings, we're going to start to get more outlook for the rest of this year. And that's really going to be the bigger key here. It's not going to really be so much what they report. It's going to be more about what their outlook is for the rest of the year in terms of growth and demand for their business. And if you take a look as an example, uh, there was an article out yesterday talking about the $3.5 trillion in savings. So a huge savings glut of Americans. They've just been sitting at home doing nothing. 
and which, which by the way, there was a, a chart out this morning, quick segue chart out this morning. He says, what's keeping you from going back to work? The answer, the number one answer was, I need some time off this summer. You haven't been doing anything for a year. It's exhausting not working. I need some time off this summer before I go back to work. So apparently there's going to be a big surge of people returning to work in September after having some time off and also the unemployment benefits run out. But nonetheless, the $3.5 trillion in savings, as we were talking about, the savings glut, is actually not what it seems. It is owned really by the top 10% of income earners. They weren't spending a lot of money, weren't able to spend a lot of money. Uh, so we are about to potentially see a little pickup here in luxury spending. So look for companies um, that kind of delve into that retail uh, luxury end to potentially do better. Uh, people with discretionary incomes that can travel now, they're going back to booking $20,000 vacations. You know, things that you don't normally see the average bottom 80% of, of Americans do. In fact, if you look at Bank of America retail credit and debit card spending, it's pretty much gone flatline here, actually slightly declining as a lot of these stimulus checks have now run through the system, tax rebates are back. So all that stimulus is now starting to kind of work itself out of the system. So this is going to impact retail sales. Retail sales make up 40% of consumer spending. Consumer spending, personal consumption expenditures, makes up 70% of the GDP equation. So this is all going to kind of start to weigh on markets as we go forward. Now, what are the biggest risks to the stock market? We talked about this yesterday. Honestly, the biggest risk to the markets all come down to the Fed. It's the psychology of the markets has, has pretty much become a Pavlovian experiment, right? The Fed rings the bell, everybody runs out and buys stocks. Well, is, and, and the belief now solely is that there is an insurance put by the Federal Reserve on the stock market. The stock market cannot be allowed to decline, and therefore, the Fed has got my back, so it doesn't matter what I pay for a stock, I'm just fine, nothing to worry about. Well, the question becomes, if, when, and how the Fed can actually taper and start to reduce some of their influence on markets, some of that liquidity. Uh, they're already talking about having to taper mortgage bond purchases because of what's going on with housing prices. And if they start to become concerned about elevated risk in the markets, if you take a look at triple uh, C credit spreads, which are now at the lowest level on record, there is definitely some risk, speculative risk, speculative appetite in the markets. And that is a concern for the Fed. The Fed is actually concerned about speculative risk because when something goes wrong and you have a lot of speculative risk, they understand what the consequences are, right? You wind up with a 2008 type financial crisis. So there may be a point sooner than later and sooner than maybe a lot of markets expect that the Fed actually says, you know what, we maybe need to maybe step back here a little bit, tailor some of this, this risk appetite back here a bit and that potentially will weigh on markets. But that's really the biggest risk you gotta pay attention to. Uh, when will you might maybe hear some of this conversation? I don't suspect anything until end of summer. I would suspect probably sometime in August around the Jackson Hole Summit might be our first hint about potentially reducing some of the monetary liquidity. And it's not just the Fed, right? It's also the Bank of Japan. It's also the, Euro the Bank of England. It's also the European Central Banks. And we are starting to see some tapering of some of those balance sheets, just a smidge. There's been some reduction in the year-over-year -year rate of change in those balance sheets. So it doesn't mean that they're actually tapering off, but they're also not growing them as fast as they were. So again, this potentially all lends itself back to the fact that markets may be near 
at least a short-term peak. So if you've got a lot of, and look, markets are up great this year. I mean, we're at 13% this year. That's a 26% annualized rate of return already. So certainly nothing to sneeze at here this year. But again, uh, risk is very elevated and it's certainly worth paying attention to and, and really paying attention to what the Fed's doing because out of everything else, that is the one thing that is going to weigh the most. The only other thing that may trip up markets is something totally unexpected, some exogenous expand, uh, uh, event that we are not even thinking about right now, uh, such as we saw earlier a pandemic in 2020. Uh, a lot of people talking about the Delta variant now, maybe the next thing that's weighing on the markets, doubtful. We already know about it. The market knows about it. We're already watching it. Those aren't the things that typically trip up markets. It's normally the things we don't expect. Markets, though, yesterday still just kind of struggling here at all-time highs, not making a lot of advance, really just kind of flatlining the last couple of days, eating up that new buy signal that we've got. So, again, nothing to do here. Maintain your portfolios right now, but watch your risk. Be right back after the break. Lots of stuff to get into this morning. Don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Well, hey, Brent. Morning. How are you? Hey. That'll wake some people up you this like morning. That? <laughs> Wait for this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's right it is thursday of course uh after a long I'm not sure well if it was well earned or not but after a long vacation michael Leibowitz, very well earned <laughs> back in the studio how are you sir good i put up with you every day it was very well deserved and earned <laughs> yeah probably true my wife says pretty much the same thing um <laughs> i'm sure she does <laughs> uh Where'd you go? Uh, the Outer Banks in North Carolina. Yeah, how was it? It's uh, beautiful out there. Just, uh, you know, nice beaches. It's not too crowded. It's not, uh, beaches around here have uh, Delaware, Maryland are very overbuilt. Right. A lot of people, boardwalks, all that kind of thing. In North Carolina, it's still, you know, it's still spread out. Nice houses. You're on the beach. Uh, weather was pretty good for the most part. So, had so a great you, time. So, so, in other words, you were there before the heat wave hit. Yeah, it was actually there were two days. It was barely seventy. Wow, there you go. Good for you. Now it's heating up. So, uh, just for the break, I was talking a little bit, uh, kind of in the opening monologue of the show, a little bit about you know the one thing that really kind of trips up the market at this point. It, you know, it's it's. You know, I was watching uh, CNBC this morning before the show. It was, it was running, and they were uh, had a table up on their screen that said. You know, the the biggest risk to the markets, you know, retail trading was like 9% risk, like 
Nobody really cares about retail trading. Um, Delta variant was like maybe 20% risk to the markets. The Federal Reserve was 25%, right? Um, and I think that's kind of the key point here. And what I was saying in the, in the first segment is that really, you know, investors have, have, have been caught in this Pavlovian experiment of the Fed ringing the bell. They run and buy stocks. And it has just become an ingrained, and, and not surprisingly, right? It's been 12 years now of this right. going on that it's, you have trained an entire generation of investors that, you know, if the Fed's buying, uh, if the Fed's, you know, doing QE, you buy stocks because they go up. And and look, there's arguments on both sides of the camp. And, and you know, I can make arguments either way that the Fed is directly impacting the financial markets by their actions, or the other camp is, no, they don't really have anything to do with the stock market. But they do because it's a psychological impact of the market, right? So they're they're teaching a behavior, even if there's not a physical can, impact into the markets. Can I correct you? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> I, you know, there's this a big debate on whether they affect the stock market or not. Yeah. By default, they do because all assets trade in the capital markets, and they're all exchangeable for each other. So when you remove an asset, I don't care what that financial asset is, you by default have changed the supply of those assets, mm -hmm. right? You've changed the dynamics of a market that is part of other markets. By default, you have changed the market for everything, for every financial asset, whether it's a, you know, a little penny stock, Apple stock, uh, junk bonds, you, you know, you name it. Right. And, and so you're on the camp that they actually do impact the market. So the, the right camp, <laughs> the fact that let me let me read the factual camp, the factual. Camp. But no, I and I, of course, I agree with you. But, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. It, it happens. Right. And, and we've trained investors to do that. So so the question now becomes really the biggest risk to the markets is if the Fed begins to taper. And now there's two camps emerging about the whole tapering issue can they actually even taper at this point because they're so far into the weeds so to speak or the other camp is is they're going to have to taper at some point because they're so far into the weeds what's your view on this i think they are going to try to taper but uh fed governor kaplan i believe he's dallas mm -hmm. yesterday made it made some kind of kind of weird statement that said something to the effect that this taper will be easier than the last time. The market struggled the last time the Fed tapered. And I, I, I read that. I'm like, what are you talking about? The market is more overvalued today. You did much more QE than you did in the past. Right. And the economy is actually growing slower or will trend slower going forward than it is now. And you have an inflation issue that you really haven't had in a long time. So how can disrupting a market, taking away liquidity at a time when when this market is overvalued because of said liquidity, what makes you think that that's going to be a pleasant affair? Mm -hmm. And look, the Fed knows this. I don't care what they say. I don't I don't care what Fed Governor Kaplan says. They're trying to calm the market. This will be OK. Everything will be all right. You know, like pacifying a little kid. <laughs> the reality is they're taking away liquidity. So, so basically, and, so basically, this is the equivalent of when the pilot in an airline tells you, in the event of a crash, just tuck your head between your knees and you'll be fine. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, I actually 
Lance, my article from yesterday, uh, Liquidity Defined, talks about liquidity and the importance of liquidity, and it's somewhat of a primer. But I start off with an analog I read, and I wish I could find the author because he, he, he wrote it so well. And basically, he said that our markets are flying at 50,000, 60,000 feet, and that's not sustainable. It's not normal. And at some point, there will be an air pocket that'll drop it to 20, 30,000 feet. Mm. That air pocket, what's, what's keeping the lift, keeping the plane up, is liquidity. So you're starting to, t you know, you're in this plane that you're so high above the clouds now. You're looking down, all you see are the top of clouds. And the only thing keeping, you know, when you're in a plane, you're always wondering, like, what keeps us up? None right. of this makes sense. Well, in the market, what's keeping you up is liquidity. Right. So anytime anyone mentions anything about liquidity, you better pay attention. Well, and I think that's a good point. And you know, this is, and again, kind of using the same analogy, you know, when the Fed starts to pull that liquidity out, right, it's the airflow that's supporting the airplane, uh, right, has this hunk of metal fly, um, you know, and, and that's the whole idea. So sit in the back of the airplane, at least you'll be the last one to the scene of the crash. By seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I but the point is, Paris. I know, right? But the point here, though, is so. But there's a couple of things that they are saying right now that does suggest that they are leaning more towards taper, right? One is, is they are talking. There was, there's been a couple of hints here just lately about potentially just starting with tapering mortgage bond purchases. House prices are extremely elevated. Your your house price changes up 14 percent in a month. Um, you know, you're getting houses that are. It, it's interesting. I'm hearing commercials now. Uh, for a mortgage company, they're saying, hey, look, if you come get your mortgage with us, we'll pre-approve you and you don't even have to sell your house first. So you don't go that way. You don't have to go in with a contingent sell because you'll never get a house when there's 14 other offers on the house. If you're contingent, you got to pay cash. So they are so confident. And this is one of those things like what could possibly go wrong? This right. company called called Orchard is so confident that they can sell your house. They'll give you the mortgage for the new house. So you don't have to go in. You go in all all cash on your new house, and then you can sell your other house later. That's how confident they are they can sell it. So what could possibly go wrong other than they wind up holding a whole lot of inventory they haven't sold yet? Deja vu all over again. Exactly. Quote the great Yogi, great Yogi Berra. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, this. But that's kind of what's going on. So not surprising the Fed may be starting to think about, you know, and, and this is what I was saying in the first segment. Let me back up real quick. I was saying this in the first segment. Regardless of what people think, the Fed really is concerned about credit risk. You know, they are concerned about the fact that you've got the lowest yield spread on triple C credit on record right now. I mean, it's just right. there, you know, the amount of speculative risk that investors are taking is extremely elevated. And the Fed is concerned about that because that is a problem when something goes wrong. And whether it's Bullard saying, oh, we're going to taper and it's not going to be a problem this time, that amount of speculative risk is like a coiled spring waiting to explode. It just needs the right catalyst. Right. And remember, when I first came on, I said something to the effect that by definition, because they are pulling assets out of the financial market, they're affecting every other asset, right? Well, the same holds true with mortgage-backed securities. It's not just treasuries. We can even say, let's just say the Fed decided all they're going to buy is GameStop, right? GameStop mm -hmm. stock, right? Okay. So they're pulling out shares of GameStop. Someone, some investor owned those GameStop shares that sold it to the Fed. That investor now has cash. They have to buy something, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the effect they're having. Now they're saying, you know, potentially that we're not going to be buying. It's the opposite effect. 
They're not selling, so it's not quite the opposite effect, but it's something that's not bolstering the markets anymore. Right. Right. And and that's what you have to think about, regardless of they're going to try to say, well, mortgages don't need help anymore and, and, and we're good there and everything should be fine. No, it doesn't matter whether it's mortgages or treasuries or GameStop. Mm -hmm. The effect they're having on pushing markets higher is real and it will have an effect when they stop doing it. Right. I, I guess I, I guess that in, in terms what you're saying is, is that, OK, let's just say the Fed stops buying. They're not going to taper. They're, they're not going to reduce their. Uh, start selling right. their their mortgage bonds, but they're not going to buy any more. Well, well, they will. They'll buy what matures. Well, so correct. If, so they'll just hundred billion matures. They may still buy a hundred billion, but their balance sheet is staying flat. Correct. But that also means, though, that the lenders, since basically what happens is, is a bank makes the mortgage and they turn around and sell it off to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, um, Ginnie Mae. And that's what the when when the, the, the Fed is buying mortgage backed securities, they have to buy Ginnie Mae bonds because they have to buy government uh, guaranteed securities. So when those get rolled off off the banks into Ginnie Mae's, if all of a sudden there isn't a an accelerated level of purchases, the banks have less incentive to make mortgages. So all of a sudden rates start to come up here a bit. Um, the liquidity flows start to slow down a bit. Um, credit restrictions become a lot tighter for the loans that they will make. And that begins to slow the, slow the housing market, even though the Fed hasn't changed the dynamic of their balance sheet. There is, there is an impact and a result from that. Yeah, and look, the MBA uh, index of mortgages, mortgage purchase index, is all the way back down to where it was before this started. So I think people are saying, you know, we can't afford mortgages, we can't afford new houses. Mortgage rates have come up a little since the Fed's been touring around with this MBS. Since the market's been touring around, the Fed may not buy MBS. Mm -hmm. And the effect is, it's it it is going to have a decent effect on a red hot market. Doesn't mean prices are going to go down, but yeah. Well, when we come back from the break, let's talk a little bit about Jackson Hole come up in August and what we think the Fed might actually talk about um, in August. We'll be right back with Michael Leibowitz. Don't go away. Listening to the Real Investment Show. You could be one of the seven in ten people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than seventy-six hundred dollars a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July. 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Everybody get up! And welcome back to the show. Uh, don't forget, if you're watching our live stream on YouTube, that you can uh, join the chat window. We always have uh, kind of a lot of... Uh, communication going on, uh, questions being asked. And uh, when we get to the last segment of the show, we'll uh, answer your questions. So um, just put your questions in uh, if you've got any for the, for Michael Leibowitz, and uh, we'll answer those here at the end of, in the next segment actually coming up. But uh, before we get to that, 
talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what's coming up this summer. You know, the big risk for the markets again. So if we go back to our conversation, which is, you know, what's the one thing that's going to really impact the financial markets the most, that's going to wind up being some change in monetary liquidity by the Fed. Why? Because that's been the psychological Pavlovian response of investors. Oh, it doesn't matter what else has happened in the world. It doesn't matter what I'm paying in valuations. It doesn't matter what earnings are. As long as the Fed is, you know, providing liquidity, I'm going to buy stocks. And to your point, that's what's been driving the markets. So if, if the change is coming, when will it most likely come? And kind of how do you expect that change to occur? So uh, I think the change has already occurred both in rhetoric from the Fed, but also what they've done. Not many people noticed, but two weeks ago when the Fed met, uh, they changed two, two rates, that reverse repo rate and the interest on excess reserves, IOER rate. And, and not many people pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. But what they did was they pushed them both up five basis points. And what that has done is help Fed funds move up as well, because it kind of Fed funds trades in between. And without getting into too much detail, because it's not worth it, the Fed effectively raised rates. They raised rates via the Fed funds rate. That's their target, right? Mm -hmm. And they have effectively raised rates, not by much. And it's to alleviate some issues in the money markets, because there's a lot of cash floating around right now. Mm -hmm. And it's to avoid negative interest rates. So the Fed effectively raised interest rates. No one's going to tell you that. But if you look at the graph of Fed funds, you can see they raised interest rates um, already. Now, I think the other big tell is that it's not just guys like Fed Kaplan or Bullard saying the Fed's talking about talking about thinking about talking about tapering. Jerome Powell got, you know, is also saying that that tapering is for discussion, that they are discussing it. So the whole Fed is talking about tapering, when to taper, how to taper, all these kinds of things. So. The, you know, we went from a sunny day. There's a couple clouds in the sky now. Doesn't mean there's going to be th thunderstorms and tornadoes and hurricanes, but it means the climate is changing. The environment is changing. So we have to kind of look ahead. What are the next big things? So I think number one is every day some Fed speaker is speaking and you can get a statement that's just slightly taking out of, taken out of context or just said the wrong way. And this happens plenty of times where they allude that QE is coming much quicker than we think or or much later than we think or that they may raise rates before they stop QE. I mean, you know, you know, anything's on the table, I guess. The next Fed meeting should be six weeks from the last one. The last one was two weeks ago or so. Right. So it should be the end of July, give or take a day or two. And then at the end of August on my wife's birthday, August 28th, the Fed meets in Jackson Hole. Yeah, so you got no Jackson, So in other words, you're saying is you have no excuse to forget your wife's birthday. So she will watch the Jackson Hole speeches <laughs> with me as is customary on her birthday. Oh boy. So, um, I'm not sure if she has any clue <laughs> that Jerome Powell even leads the Fed to tell you the truth. Yeah. And, and I can say that because she doesn't listen. Right. So. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that's so what the way I see it playing out is the Fed will take another step towards tapering. I, I still think they're going to taper mortgage-backed securities, and I think they may do something at the end of July. And they could even do it by saying, we're going to stop buying $20 billion of mortgages and buy 20 more of treasuries. Right. 
right? But I think they get much more definitive as we get towards, uh, as we get to Jackson Hole. And there's a few statements there that kind of show you the path ahead for the next six months or so. I, I know I'd be a little bit remiss and if I if I didn't touch on what's going on with uh, repo and overnight funding right now. Uh, as of yesterday, just shy of a trillion dollars. I mean, this is a spike in the repo market that we we haven't seen period ever in history and you know last time we were talking you and i were specifically talking about repo and what was going on was september of 2019 we had an inverted yield curve we had this kind of a situation with repo going on the time of the fed and the fed was actually doing qe at the time nobody called it qe but it was qe it was an effective form of qe of what was happening with repo of course there the banks were in trouble um, nobody wanted to admit it yet. And, you know, then, of course, in March of 2020, it kind of all came apart at the seams. Um, or, or is this time different with what's going on with repo versus last time? It is different. So in 2019, they were doing repo. This is reverse repo. So repo was because banks, hedge funds needed to borrow money. So they would say, here, take my collateral. Remember, I remember mm-hmm. talking to you about this. We said, hey, I have this brand new Lexus in the driveway. Let me borrow $10,000. And everyone would say no, because no one trusted the collateral, the, right. the Lexus in the driveway. So it was it, back then it was it was people wanting to borrow money from the Fed in exchange for collateral. Now they want to give money to the Fed and take the Fed's collateral. Basically, they're investing. They're lending money to the Fed overnight. Mm-hmm. So... What the problem is, the Fed has a floor on the reverse reap. They do it via auction, and they have a floor on what this is called reverse repurchase, right? Uh, reverse repo, um, and there's a floor. The floor was zero. They were there was so much cash floating around in the money markets that investors were saying, and by investors we mean big institutional. Uh, money market funds, Hedge the funds, big boys. Pensions, this isn't yeah. Lance and I screwing around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or Brent. Or Brent, uh, yeah. Uh, so what, we, uh, what, what they were doing is saying, you know what? I'll just lend money to the Fed. I know it's 0%, but that's better than the negative rate that I can get in the other, in the other money markets at the mm-hmm. time. So I can, I can lend it to the best credit there is in the world. The, the safest, least riskiest person in the world, and I can get a better rate. Of zero. So now, so now they say, not only can you get a better rate with the Fed, but we're going to increase it by five basis points. So they increase the floor to five basis points. So they're now they're attracting even more money, right? Mm-hmm. I have two options. I can lend money to the Fed at five basis points, 0.05%, or I can lend it to someone else who's a lesser credit at zero, at maybe even minus, at a negative rate. Mm-hmm. What do you think everyone's going to do? Right. And, and right now, there's a trillion going through in overnight reverse repo every day and increasing every day. Right. So I don't think it's, it, it's, it's an opposite situation. I think it tells you there's just too much cash floating around, but it's... It's not a healthy market either, Lance. Right. Well, and I think that's and that was the key point I wanted you to get to was is that even though this is reverse repo, this is not a sign of a healthy market. Uh, the treasure we're right in the middle of of trying to drain down all those excess reserves that were sitting in the treasury because of of the you know the the two point two trillion dollar CARES Act, the nine hundred billion dollar Heroes Act, the one point nine trillion dollar uh, America 
uh, I forgot the Biden Plan Act, whatever the name was. But, um, you know, that one, I mean, we've had $5 trillion worth of liquidity all hit the Treasury. Those cash balances are getting drained down now. Um, The Fed's on the other side of this picking up all that liquidity at this point. And and this is really, I think, one of the the misnomers. People believe that liquidity is infinite. Um, Yes, you can theoretically create infinite liquidity by just issuing debt and and converting that and, and the Fed monetizing it. In theory, you can do that, but there are consequences for that. So in reality, liquidity is not infinite. There is a limit to the amount of debt that you can monetize because of the eventual negative outcome that occurs from that. Right. Uh, you know what? I mean, I think the way to think about liquidity is that it's, it's present, but it can just vanish yeah. for periods of time. It's kind of like air. We take it for granted. You know, you breathe it, it's fine. It's You don't even really think about it. But every once in a while, you go climb Mount Everest, there's not enough oxygen in that air for you. Uh, you know, the markets go through these periods where all of a sudden everyone's like, I, I don't trust anyone in this market. I just want to sell. I want to sell. I don't mm-hmm. trust this person. I want you to pay that loan you made me in overnight markets. And all of a sudden, there's no bid. Not just for not just for crappy assets, but for some of the best assets, because that's what has to be sold, because those are where the only market is at times. Mm-hmm. Right. So during 2008, we saw some of the best assets being sold at decent discounts because no one could sell their subprime loans. They're, the market was closed. Well, I, mean, look, I, th- th- I think right. there's a good example of that going on right now in the S&P 500. If you pay attention to what's been happening in the S&P just over the last couple of really last two weeks, a First of all, the market has rallied here a bit, but it's been a very weak rally. Breath has not been fantastic. And uh, what you're seeing is is, is the, the big mega cap names, the Facebook, the Apple, the Microsoft, the Netflix, the Googles. Money's hiding uh, in those big cap companies right. because they are highly liquid. Those are stocks that have a bid every day. There's Those are easy to buy and sell. And if I have to go sell five billion dollars worth of stock all of a sudden i can do that in apple and not even affect the bid right i mean it won't even move the stock price very much uh and in most other companies in the markets you don't have that kind of safety of liquidity the ability to sell when you need to sell at the price you want to sell it at and that's not a healthy sign of a market either that's not one that suggests this market's really rallying on all you know eight cylinders at this point so quick break we'll come back with michael leibowitz we'll get to your questions on our youtube channel if you have a question simply swing by our youtube channel on our website realinvestmentadvice.com uh click on the youtube link and enter your uh, question in the chat window and we'll get to it right after the break be right back Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com. 
realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. The show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Michael Leibowitz joining me, CFA, of course, our resident Fed expert as well. And uh, as we get kind of ready to kick off the first day, trading day of this, you know, of the third quarter, right? I mean, so now we're about to get into second quarter earnings all over again. And again, as we said at the beginning of the show, um, one thing about what's going on with earnings right now is that the year over year comparisons are going to be very good because remember, second quarter of last year, March, April, May, uh, that was in the middle of the lockdown. Earnings crashed. Companies like Carnival Cruise Lines had no earnings that quarter. <laughs> so, you know, year over year comparisons, Carnival Cruise Lines is going to make, if they had one passenger, <laughs> they're going to have a 100% increase in earnings. It'll be fantastic. Um, right. but, but, yeah, but, but Lance, yeah. But Lance, here's what we got to think about it's not every company. True. Right? Carnival Cruise Lines is going to kill it. Yeah. But what about Clorox? This is true. There's plenty of wipes on the shelves right now, right? So companies like Clorox that were doing great during the first and second quarter, their sales are going to slip versus a year ago. That, so that's, that's a fair point. That's an, actually a very good point. A little careful here. Yeah, it, it, it comes down to who, you know who you own, right? And that that kind of goes maybe with like even like the Zooms, right? I mean, we're still uh, still a lot of people are doing Zoom meetings, right? But this is where this is the point where Zoom really took off. Right, so they had huge earnings in the second and third quarter of 2020. Uh, so this year, those year-over-year comparisons aren't going to be nearly as, as strong. So it's a very valid point. Something, it, it's, and this is really where it's going to come down to stock picking in a lot of cases. Right, um, and, and we're working on this too. Actually, yeah. we've downloaded data for the S and P 500. We're trying to go through and see who re- the haves and the have-nots, and then as the economy normalizes, will the haves become the have-nots and vice versa? which is going to be true for some industries, but not others. Right. Well, let's get to some of our questions this morning. Uh, if you're watching our live stream, you're going to see our chat window up on the live stream this morning because I'm having to share the same computer with Michael Leibowitz. Oh, you took it out. Okay, there you go. Well, you can't see it. So there. Ha. Uh, anyway, a <laughs> uh, couple of things here. You know, one of the questions is, is really a, comes back to this whole idea of of the Fed and not surprising since what we're talking about this morning, um, you know. But you know, the Fed has has been sucking up a lot of this money that has been put out by the Treasury uh, for these various programs, right? And I think this is the one thing everybody needs to understand. There's this idea that the Fed's just over there with the printing press, printing money. That's not really true. It, it is in a way, but it's really not because they can only issue money against debt that's been that's been issued by the Treasury. Right. So they can leverage it so they can they can take money from the Treasury and then leverage it. But they can't actually just, you know, print money out of thin air. They have to have that debt issued. Um, And that debt issuance is slowing down. Right. Um, You know, we we, right now we're struggling over trying to get a trillion dollar infrastructure plan over the next, uh, you know, five years or so. But out of that one point two trillion dollars in infrastructure, only five hundred billion. That's still a lot of money. But only five hundred billion of it is new debt over five years. So that's about a hundred billion a year in a twenty trillion dollar a year economy. It's not a lot. Where's the other money coming from? It's coming from the money that was previously issued in those other bailout programs. So they're using that money 
for a different purpose. And that is going to have much less of an impact on the economy going forward. But it also gives the Fed, uh, the Federal Reserve, less money to translate into economic stimulus. Right. I mean, it's, it's simple. All money is lent into existence. Lent. Now, that could change. The Fed could print money and throw it out of helicopters. But today, the way it works is that money is lent into existence. So banks, for the most part, the Treasury Department, are who create money. So the question you really got to think about is, are the banks lending a lot of money? Do people want to borrow money? And the answer is, it's certainly upticked, but the answer is no, not really. The spreads for the banks, their profit margins aren't great, right? They're, they're, they still, they have plenty of capital, plenty of reserves, but there's not a huge demand to borrow either in a broader economic sense. So yes, the Fed is doing, Fed's printing money, and we even say it all the time too, but they're really not printing money. Mm -hmm. They're giving the toner to the banks. The banks can then choose whether to take that toner and print. You know, they could the amount of money they could print could be unbelievable. Right. But that's not what's going on. Um, next question, is, and and really, this is kind of goes back to our conversation earlier. So here we are. We got markets at record highs right now. Um, the advance over the last couple of weeks has been has been there, right? And and we've talked about this. And it's just not been a real strong advance. There's not been a lot of conviction to it. Our money flow indicators are still trending negatively. They're not negative, but they are in a downward trend. In other words, there's not a lot of conviction to the rally. Uh, so question is, you know, kind of what are some of the unexpected factors that could trip up the market, right? So we're, you know, right now we're hearing a lot about the new Delta variant this morning is starting to spread. It's now in all 50 states. Is this going to lead to another lockdown or is this going to be political, a political issue that trips up the markets? You know, what, what are the risks that you see right now for the markets over the next, well, over the rest of this year? I think the Delta variant is more of a foreign issue. Mm-hmm. You know, that if ports get closed abroad, if countries start shutting down again, not the U.S., but other countries, that will have an effect on our economy. Mm -hmm. You know, so so that is is something to worry about. I don't think domestically it's a big problem Um, to me. I think the biggest problem is inflation and the Fed trying to persuade the market that it's transitory. And every time we get a new inflation indicator, whether that's, you know, the official CPI report that comes out or the PPI report or you take it down a step to the surveys or take it down one more step to General Mills telling you that they're going to hike rates. Mm-hmm. I think that causes uneasy uneasiness in the market because, you know, it's like the kids in the backseat. Are we there yet? No. Is transitory over yet? You know, it's the same thing. And I think everyone's willing to give the Fed a few months on this transitory inflation. But we're starting to kind of get to the end of a few months. And if we see these inflation numbers of, you know, five, six percent inflation in broad indexes, the Fed's going to start getting a little nervous. I think Congress is going to start getting nervous. I think investors are going to start getting nervous that inflation is lasting. At the same time, it's really hurting consumers because most people aren't getting five or six percent raises. So you have social issues involved as well. So so to me, I think inflation, at least for the next few months, is kind of the key driver. Right, but so but let's tie a couple of those ideas together, because as you were talking about this, it just kind of, you know, kind of it really hit home. 
So let's say the Delta variant becomes, and, and uh, we've got a new, a new listener from France today. Welcome to the show. We appreciate you uh, listening in. But we are starting, as you, as you pointed out, India, France, other places, that Delta variant is kicking off, right? So to your point, then all of a sudden we start to shut down those economies because they're much more apt to try to shut down their economy than, say, Texas is right now. Texas ain't ever shutting down again, period, end of story. That will never happen I, I, ever again. But I got to be honest, the much more liberal Maryland ain't shutting down either. <laughs> exactly. Right. I mean, I think the United States is done unless there's a huge change, you know, unless something changes. But so so but let's just say that, that Europe shuts down again. Right. So that's going to impact supply chains again. That's going to drive up prices. So now we've already got crimp supply chains. It's only going to make the supply chains worse. That's going to drive up prices more. And here's the problem with all this. So the Delta variant causes a sustained rate of inflationary push in the economy. The Fed is at some point, they have two two mandates, right? Full employment and price stability. At some point, they may be forced into tapering at absolutely the worst possible time because you've got rampant inflation. You don't have wage growth. You've got an economy that's weakening, and they're going to have to taper right into that because of this inflation runaway. This is a this is a event that they had talked about, but I don't think they ever believed would actually be the case, that they'd be caught in an inflationary spike and have to taper into that. And let's be clear, no one has a clue about inflation, especially over the next few months, on how transitory it is, on how much further prices can go up. We've never seen supply demand issues like we have today. And then there becomes a psychological component. People want to buy stuff today because it's going to be more expensive tomorrow. Or they don't want to buy it today because they think it'll be cheaper tomorrow. So you put all that together, and it's extremely hard for for anyone, any computer to try to figure out. Right. Um, so, you know, and I think that's, you know, and again, this is, you know, the I think this all kind of correlates back to the biggest risk for the market, which it all comes down to the Fed, right? But to your point and what you were saying a second ago and, and what most people haven't thought about is like the, the, the simple equation is, is Fed is providing liquidity, I'm buying stocks, but nobody's really thinking about what happens when the Fed gets itself trapped in a box. We are in a liquidity trap. Um, you're lowering rates and you're not getting an, uh, a boost to economic growth because of low rates. So uh, banks aren't lending. If you take a look at bank loans, they're collapsing right now. Right. Nobody's loaning money. Uh, CapEx is not increasing massively. It's just kind of getting back to pre-pandemic norms, which is just the normal stability for business. They've got to invest something to stay in business. Um, you know, the Fed is getting themselves into a trap pretty quickly here to where there is no exit for them. And there may be, regardless of what's happening in inflation, they may be saying, we can't even taper now. Uh, we've got to keep doing QE. We've got to we've got to keep doing this because inflation is now 12%, 13%, whatever it is. I'm just making up numbers. Right. But at some point, it may not matter that they're doing QE because of what's happening economically, inflation-wise, et cetera. The markets aren't going to be able to sustain that. Or, I mean, I guess there's a positive risk, too, that yeah. they say, you know what, we're going to keep doing QE and we may even increase it and we may buy stocks because we have to keep this economy going. So, you know, yeah. again, like I started, we're traveling at 50,000 feet. You know, so just be careful. Have your parachute. Understand what's keeping a plane aloft and... And watch liquidity. Fasten, fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> Sit in the back of the airplane. <laughs>
<laughs> all right thanks mike appreciate the show today appreciate y'all joining us uh for the show today whether you're in your car or online uh, at our youtube channel or, or streaming anywhere and our podcast don't forget you can access the show a multitude of ways on our website realinvestmentadvice.com and hang on because we've got a whole brand new website coming out here in the next couple of weeks that has a whole lot of new features it's gonna run a lot faster it looks great i can't wait um but it's gonna make it a lot easier for you to navigate and find the things that you want as well realinvestmentadvice.com uh stick around though we got three minutes on markets coming up and of course our latest blog post newsletter out this weekend and also let me wish you happy fourth of july coming up have a great day it's a rich man's world.